In this episode, we have several incredible conversations around how do you progress from seed stage and startup stage to beyond? What are the fundamental differences in the business? How do you manage cash flow to do all the things you want to do? As well as having a fairly in-depth and comprehensive conversation around the different considerations you need to be aware of when raising money to fuel the growth of your business. And I'm joined by a very special guest. Welcome to episode two two four of Ask Jack D. We are very excited today to be joined by a good friend of ours at the Entourage, Mr. Bo Batoli. Bo is the co-founder and joint CEO of Prosper. Now, Prosper is Australia's leading online lender to small businesses. They've lent almost $200 million to small businesses in Australia. Someone that's been, myself, been an entrepreneur now for many, many years, 10, 11, 12 years, uh, I have often been looking for an organisation like this on behalf of clients, students, whatever it might be, uh, and Prosper have finally proved up a model that's truly disruptive to traditional finance methods. Unlike traditional lenders, Prosper understands that small businesses need fast financial solutions and clearly is giving it to them in a way that I've never seen before. Mm. It's beautiful. It's very unique. On behalf of small business owners all around Australia, Bo, I thank you. (laughs) (laughs) It's our pleasure. We enjoy doing what we do. Before we were rolling, you drew an interesting delineation between the bank's sweet spot, who do do a great job of consumer lending and all of that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. and your sweet spot. Do you want to just talk to that delineation? Because I think that's really interesting and necessary for small businesses mm-hmm. to understand. Absolutely. I mean, it's a really good question. People ask us, why does Prosper exist? And I think you do a really good um, summary there of what we do, which is online um, lending for small businesses. And there's a bit of a misconception around what is a small business in the mm. Australian economy. And um, a lot of people think that a, a small business, particularly the banking definition, is, uh, is a business that's borrowing one or two or three million dollars, when the reality is the typical Australian small business owner is somebody who's turning over less than two million dollars. So small business owners fit in this funny squished area between the retail bank's um, consumer products, which are your mum and dad home loans, credit cards, personal loans, and the business banking products, which are more designed for mid to large size companies and institutional lending. So small business owners are in no man's land, historically. Correct, absolutely. And um, it's not that the banks don't have small business customers, they do, they have banking accounts, they have transaction accounts, merchant accounts and the whole like, but they've never been able to understand these customers and create lending products that support these small businesses. And the reality is that any small business owner, or any business owner for that matter, can use finance to grow and invest in their business. And what we've done over the last four and a half years is create that product for the Australian small business owner um, to really bring their ideas and their their ideas to life. So it's been a wonderful journey for us. Um, The couple hundred million we've put out there is really just the beginning. We we work with thousands of small business owners, yet there are two million of them in Australia. And if you asked every one of them, if I gave you 10 or 20 or $30,000 right now, could you come up with an idea to invest in your business? the vast majority of small business owners would say yes. So it's great to be a part of their journey and it's great to be supporting Australia's small business owners who really are the engine of growth in the economy right now. I speak to probably 10,000 entrepreneurs a year and I can tell you as you can with a very well-educated assumption that the vast majority say yes. Absolutely, it's a, it's a key thing. And I think that one of the 
the, again, misconceptions is that small businesses are risky, and mm. they're not. Mm. Small businesses are actually, the, again, the engine of the, the Australian economy. They're creating mm. more jobs than big business. In mm. fact, 100% of job creation in the last couple of years has come from small businesses. Mm. It's mm. the big end of town that are, are scaling back and shedding jobs left, right and centre. Mm. So, uh, so investing in these business owners and giving them access to capital and empowering their ideas mm. is a, a very satisfying thing to be able to do. Mm. And we're really just commencing the journey. It's great to be working with a group such as the Entourage, who have access and such a passion to to small business owners and bringing those entrepreneurs' dreams to, to life. It's, it's really cool. phenomenal, mate. Well done on everything you guys have done. To your point, we've just released, actually, uh, right about now, we're launching a partnership with Prosper. As an educator, I've been looking for this for nine years, I've been in <laughs> education, because before Entourage was doing MBE, for uh, an organisation that could help our students finance their education, mm -hmm. right? How do I borrow money to do education, particularly if it's our launch program for those starting businesses, our build program for those that want to build a foundation, and our scale program for those looking to really ramp up, scale, build significant value, perhaps go raise significant money from equity investors, that sort of stuff. We've got three programs that aren't diplomas, right? So they mm -hmm. don't come with fee help or anything like that. And traditionally, it's just been a the student has to pay out of their own mm -hmm. pocket, right? So we're launching a partnership right now with Prosper uh, that enables those of you that want to come through a launch program, a build program or a scale program to find the finance to be able to uh, come through those programs. And it might actually enable you to afford it when you otherwise couldn't, or it might actually enable you to keep your cash working for you while you finance your education. So we're launching that right now. Uh, which has been incredibly popular with those that we're speaking to. So again, mm. mate, well done. Absolutely, and I think it's fantastic to be a part of this. Um, I mean, this is a, a world first in the sense of, yeah. of what we're looking at doing here. Yeah. And th yeah, one of the challenges of being a small business owner, you have been, I have been, um, and obviously our, our joint collective clients all are, one of the greatest challenges is allocation of limited resources. They mm. have a small amount of capital and they have lots of different ideas they want to bring to life. And the challenge is, how do, you, how do you empower them to bring those ideas to life? So how do you run the marketing campaign and buy that stock at a 50% discount while still investing in your professional development? While making wages simultaneously? That's right. It's, it's <laughs> a, a really difficult thing. It's a fine balancing act. Yeah. So what we've been able to do at Prosper is, is create a really easy process to access that capital and, and do that in a manner that works with the business's cash flows. Mm. So, so again, it's a very flexible product. Um, and it's great to be working with the entourage to empower these business owners to bring all their ideas to life and not have to choose between, you know, do right. I run that $15,000 marketing or campaign yeah. or do I invest in my professional development? It's now and, I can do both. Love it, so good. Rosie, how are you? I'm great. Good, fire us the first question, please. Okay. Cool, so first question comes from Nathan Ulrich. He asks for Jack Nathan, and good Nathan. man. Nathan, yeah, 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 yeah no, Nathan. Live. Okay. So he asks, for Jack and Bo, what changes do you advise need to be made when moving from an early stage business to a business to, a business to scale? I love that question and it's <laughs> so critically important. You know, fire first. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, to give you an idea, you know, Prosper four and a half years ago was two people. Now it's 100 people mm. um, and we're currently recruiting for probably close to another 100 over the next 12 months. So we've certainly gone through that start up you know, through the, very much the scale-up phase right now. And um, I think there's a couple of major changes you need to bring into your thinking as you go from that startup kind of, is my idea gonna work, into I'm a real business, into I'm now scaling into something quite large. 
The first is, is, as an entrepreneur, the management approach you bring to the business. I think in the early days of a company when you've only got two or three or four of you, it's very dynamic, it's very fast moving, there's not a lot of structure, there's not a lot of processes in place, all ideas are good ideas and you're just moving really, really quickly. As you start to get up to 15, 20, 30 people and you start to have that real scale phase of your, your business, you need to start thinking about leadership structures, better business processes, um, certainly smarter ways of allocating your time individually. Uh, one of the things that we found in our business is that myself and my, my co-founder, we became bottlenecks. Every decision used to funnel through us and that's not a way to run a scalable business. So you start to start thinking about empowering processes through your organisation. So that's the first thing, it's definitely um, your management approach to the organisation. Um, the second thing is around capital. I mean, there's, there's very, very few companies that have been able to grow and scale at a, a quick pace through their own cash flow. And retained earnings is fantastic. It's a great way to, to grow your business and reinvest your profits. But it's awesome to be able to access capital and use that capital to grow your company even faster. And finance is a great thing in business. It's a real positive. You can grow five, ten times quicker if you can access capital. So working on your capital, that requires you to have a good understanding of your financials. You need to be um, investing you know, in that part of your business, particularly around the accounting practices and um, so forth, and, and getting that capital access sorted out. Um, and then the third part is really around talent. So you know, for us, um, we've been very, very fortunate to recruit great people. Um, it's probably the most important thing as you head from a small number of employees to a larger number, that, that all of a sudden you're empowering people, you have to trust those people, and you want to find the best talent. So spend a lot of time on the recruitment processes, a lot of time on the induction processes, invest in training, invest in L&D, make these people as great as they can be um, in your organisation. So they're the three main things that we talk to. <laughs> I'm laughing because as you're talking, I'm cross-referencing, I had three things as well, and I'm cross <laughs> I think I think two, maybe two and a half are exactly the, the same, same yeah. what you just said. I'll, approach, I'll probably I'll approach them in my own way. Uh, the reason I said this is such an important question because uh, what really cripples businesses is those who grow out of seed stage, startup stage, but the entrepreneurs, the CEO at the helm continues to act and operate like a startup business. That will kill you. Literally, it will kill the business. You know, looking at BRW Fast Starter Companies, BRW Fast 100 Companies are kind of growing like this. And then five years down the track, some of them will have actualized their growth. Some of them have plateaued and some of them have self-destructed. The number one differentiator is how much did the founder, CEO, whoever's got the reins, uh, grow and advance and uh, transition to different styles of management and leadership along the way. Critically important. Three things. Number one, uh, startup stage. It's all about really, I, I reckon, the entrepreneurs and the small teams magic, right? It's hustle, it's grit, it's will, it's everything's reactive. We're still making it up. We're kind of pulling on stuff. Making lots of mistakes. Learning. Making lots of mistakes, right? And it's relatively reactive. We know where we're going, but like it's there's product to market fit, and then we've got to pay the bills, we need to spend on marketing, and then you know we need to go deliver on the product, and then we need to go out and find more capital in your or develop more product or whatever it might be. And there's all of these spinning wheels that we're trying to drive concurrently, right? The fundamental change there is that as an organization grows, it can no longer rely on primarily the magic of the CEO or the team, it now needs to become about basic business principle and basic business structure. So systems, processes, management reports. So when I say management reports, to give some definition, CEO has a couple of leaders, two or three leaders in the business, has a few people under them. Let's say you've got a team of 20 or 30, whatever. Uh, 
all of a sudden you can't be everywhere at once. So you need to ensure you have accurate reportability coming up to you as the CEO, right? There needs to be accurate accountabilities in place. And there also needs to be financial controls. Who can spend what money and who can't spend what money and all of that sort of stuff, right? And there, there needs to be a forward-looking strategy and you know all of these basic business fundamentals come into play. Whereas in the startup days, we had less of it because it was just improvised. It now needs to be less improvised, more planned, more structured. That's number one. Number two, team, culture, right? There is a view in traditional management that suggests as a business gets larger, the culture dilutes. I have a very different view to mm. that. I reckon you can. It's just, it depends on the company, right? If you recruit right, if you induct right, if you train and manage right, uh, growth can actually enhance culture. It should amplify your mm. heartbeat, not dilute it. And then the third thing is that the larger your business becomes, the more foresight you need to have of the future, right? And so let's say you're in a little rubber ducky and you, and you can turn on a dime and you know that's a startup business, right? You don't need to see that far ahead. However, if you're at the helm of, to use a terrible metaphor, the Titanic or a large <laughs> scale ship, right? The captain's no longer the one holding the rudder and doing and getting out the paddles and talking to everyone on a first name basis. They, although you'd love to know everybody on a first name basis, but when you get to 500,000 staff, you probably won't. You, the, the captain needs to be standing at the front of the ship with complete visibility of, sorry mate, right. with complete visibility of the future with his or her instruments in front of them so that they understand the health of the ship, they understand what's going on everywhere across the ship, they've got all their controls, their instruments, their reports, and they can see into the future, so they can go, guys, there's an iceberg over there, or guys, there's a really cool island over there, let's go and take it, right? And so, uh, whereas in the startup days, you're kind of thinking in sometimes weeks ahead, right? Maybe months, maybe quarters, maybe a year-ish, uh, when you become larger, it's a larger ship, takes longer to change direction, takes more to steer it, you need to be thinking in terms of three, five-year horizons as the CEO. They were both very long answers, but they were good. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question comes from Jen Shirley. She says, Jackie D, big question today. What should I do if business is growing faster than cash flow allows? Mm. Very common problem. Very common problem. Business is growing faster than cash flow. I'm going to say something that might surprise some of you, which is you can slow down growth if you need to, right? Sometimes you need to. Counterintuitively, growth devours cash. People think once I start growing, I'm on a high growth curve, I'll have all of this cash, it'll be amazing. Not true. You need to employ more staff, you need to buy more product, or you need to get more people in order to service it. Even if you're a web tech business, right? This is still true because there's still uh, a lot of functions that go on within an organization that enable it to scale. So um, you need to be across all of that. Rosie, what was the question? So Shawnee was looking at me weird. I thought something was going on with the Faster than cash flow yes, allows. Thank you. <laughs> so, so growth of cash. So, so sometimes you will need to slow up growth in order to uh, manage the cash flow, right? That is an option. Another option is raise equity finance. Another option is call Prosper, right? Uh, all of which are really valid solutions. Definitely. But, oh, just the only other thing I'd add to that, and um, you know, in our growth, we. We actually were the fastest growing technology company in Australia last year. We won the Deloitte um, Tech 50 and we were the third fastest growing in Asia. And mm. 
um, as a result, you know, we're obviously looking at our, our cash flow at all points in time, and mm. our business happens to be a cash flow business. We are lending out hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm. So the number one thing that's, that I would always advise to any business owner when they're looking at their growth versus cash is be really, really crystal clear. Understand inside out the timing between your investment and when you get the return on that investment. So if you're in a, a technology business, for example, you're a software provider, and it costs you a million dollars to build a particular solution, but you don't receive the three million in revenue for two years, you need to understand where and how you're gonna fund that million dollars versus the income that's coming in. And I think you know, the number one failure in a lot of businesses, in many, many cases, is they mistime the, the cash collection versus the cash cost in their business. And exactly to, to Jack's point, they're looking at equity investment or looking at debt investment to bridge you through that is a very, very important way. And there's lots of different finance options available, but don't get to the point where you've run out of cash mm. when you start exploring finance options, because mm. that can be viewed as quite risky to lenders. Mm. So again, coming to your, your point earlier about anticipating the future and forward mm. planning, mm. you know, thinking three, six to 12 months in advance and what my cash requirements will be is absolutely critical. So having good budgeting, good cash flow forecasting, if you don't have those skills, either learn them or go and bring someone into the business, whether it's a consultant or an accountant that can help you plan those cash flows out. But that's really, really important is to understand that timing. Absolutely. Right. Beautifully put. Love that. Okay, next Rosie's question. Yes. <laughs> We're doing good, Bo. You I know. know. <laughs> Rosie's always the barometer. That's if right. She, yeah. If she looks like that, we're doing good. Right. If she looks like this, it means pick it up. Hurry <laughs> up or say something smarter <laughs> or be funnier. <laughs> She's a very good barometer. You should have like my face is in the corner yeah. of the screen. Yeah. <laughs> like the Rosie meter. We need like the, the Rosie meter. Which way is it going? Shorty, up here, just put Rosie's face real quick. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question comes from Matt. He asks, what's the number one question you would ask a potential investor to see if they are the right fit for you? Cool, I'm happy to take that one first. Um, so we actually just went through a very large investment round of, uh, of almost $60 million um, in the last 12 months. And the number one, it's not so much the number one question, it's the number one thing we look for is, the, is we're very, very clear about what we need out of an investor. So it's not about whether they're gonna be right or wrong for us, it's what do we need as a business. So in Prosper's case last year, we were very clear about we needed people who understood credit markets and could bring support to our business in relation to credit and uh, very, very much on the technology side. So we went and found investors who shared our vision as owners, um, who shared the way that we wanted to run the business. Some investors are very proactive, they wanna be in your business. That might be okay if you don't have those skills, but it might be a real, headache if you don't want them in the business. So be really clear about how you want to interact with those investors. And, um, and lastly, make sure that the money is either smart money or the right money for what you need that money to be doing. So don't just take any money. It's a really, really dangerous place to be when you're looking for capital and you just take any money that's available. Make sure you're crystal clear about what you want from an investor and how you want that investor to interact with your business and then go and find the investors that match that. 100% agree. It's, it's really subjective to what does your, what do you need as an entrepreneur CEO and what does your business need, right? When doing a capital raising, I love what you said, don't leave it to the last minute because then you sort of take any money, right? If, if I'm raising money for businesses that I'm involved in as opposed to previous company we'd help 
SMEs raise capital, right? So if they wanted to raise passive money, we'd help them to do that. But for my business, I always raise smart money, right? Because in my view, half the investors, in, uh, half the value that investors should bring is non-financial expertise, experience, right? Bit of gray hair goes a long way. Networks, maybe further capital in further capital rounds. Um, and so, but what all of that looks like is dependent on what skills you need around you, right? So scalability and those management controls and finance and all that is probably pretty universal. However, if you're in food, go and find, you know, a friend of mine, Stewie Cook, uh, was the CEO of Zambrero for five or six years of fast food Fresh Mex franchise. And so they went and got, I think, the guy who brought KFC to Australia and they got him on their board, right? Because that was... Uh, industry specific and business specific to their future. He was able to add considerable amounts of value. Now, if you own a fast, you know, fresh mix franchise and you went and got a tech guy who didn't have franchise experience, food experience, or, you know, FMCG experience, then uh, it's the wrong person. So think about what are your weaknesses? Who would you like to have? What smart money would you like? What skills do you need to complement your personal skill set and perhaps the skill set of your management team? Um, and then secondly, what industry are you in and how do you bring in people who understand the path ahead far more thoroughly than what you might? And if there's one question that I always ask um, any investor that's looking to invest in our business, it's why wouldn't you invest in my business? And I do that really early on because you get great feedback. They tell you the four or five reasons why they wouldn't. And then you go make sure you've got answers for them for your next conversation. So a <laughs> little great. sneaky way of finding out what investors think about your business, what they've seen yeah. as well. I love it. <clears throat> so does our barometer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is kind of a question on the flip side then. This comes from Stephen Thompson. He asks, when pitching an idea for the first time, what's the number one suggestion? What's your suggestion for creating impact? Um, you know, if, if I was to really simplify the value of your business and, and, and how to enhance the value of your business, you, and gross simplification, however it stands, less risk, more future growth, right? Less risk, more future growth. Now, we could come up with 20 or 30 things that could be done under less risk. We could come up with 20 or 30 things that would enable more future growth potential. And so um, what you want to do when speaking with investors is demonstrate that you have thought through all of the risks. What a lot of particularly early stage entrepreneurs do is they don't raise them, right? Which isn't good, like I won't raise the risk and the investor won't, no. Investors are pessimistic, entrepreneurs are optimistic, right? Within six minutes of talking to this investor, she has seen more potential risks in your business than you have in the last six years, right? Because that's how investors are trained. They've, they've invested, they've been successful, they've invested, they've lost money, they've done all of these different things. They understand probably the infinite number of variations that could go wrong in any particular business. You not raising that means that you come across unthought through, you come across unthorough, and maybe even a little bit inexperienced. Whereas if you do openly discuss, these are the risks that are inherent in our business today. These are the risks that are inherent in our future growth path. And these are the things that we do to mitigate or minimize those potential risks. All of a sudden, your credibility goes up, 
right? So risk is only one part of it. Future growth potential is another. But you, the people watching this, you're already talking about the future growth, right? In fact, I'd suggest that 90% of your conversations is probably around the future growth. In fact, a lot of the time, 100% of our conversations are around future growth. Put a little bit more emphasis on the risks and what you're doing to minimise and mitigate. And that's perfect. And the only other thing I'd, um, I'd add there is around relevance of the idea to their investment philosophy. So um, as soon as you can understand, or as early as possible, understand what type of investments do these investors look yes. for. And um, I think to Jack's point, don't be afraid about talking about the risks. In fact, it shows maturity in yes. the way that you think as a business owner, but also make sure that you as an investment are relevant to them. And some investment funds, for example, have controls around the size of investment. So they'll only invest from you know, $500,000 to $2 million. That's their check size. So if you're raising $10 million, you're talking to the wrong investors. So, and that's one example of keeping it relevant. Um, other investment funds only invest in high growth or global technology companies. And if you're, you know, Tex-Mex or Fresh Tex, whatever it was, um, and you're, your business, and your, your business is here in Australia and you're gonna have a franchise model in Australia and it's got an element of technology, but not that much, mm. then again, you're talking to the wrong investors. So it's a matter of finding fit for, for relevance. And I think to Jack's point there about don't shy away from the risks, talk to the risks. Um, they, as an investor, and most particularly VC funds, of 100 investments they make, 90 of them, they'll fail three or four they'll get their money back on and they're hoping for a handful that do really, really well. So they've seen everything. They've seen every combination of business pitch. Um, one investor in our business, for example, Airtree Ventures, they've seen 1,200 business applications for finance or for, for funding from them in the past year. And I think they've invested in 14. So it gives you an idea of how many different scenarios they see. How do you be one of those 14? Again, talk to the risk, talk to the growth and make sure it's relevant to their fund. And there's different funds for all types of investment opportunities. To your point earlier around understanding their investment appetite, transaction size, preferred industry, that information is always available, particularly today, less so maybe four or five years ago, but particularly today, any investor, any angel investor, any VC fund, mm -hmm. any angel group, any PE fund will have their investment criteria on their website. Absolutely. So you can, you can find it really easily. And as you say, a, something that can kill your credibility straight away is not knowing that and pitching them something that falls outside of that. We've now just had a meeting for no reason, right? So, and time is the most important asset as a small business owner. Yeah. So don't waste time with 40 investor presentations yeah. if you can have you can six, six and they're six valuable. highly relevant and the highest potential for actually getting money. 100%. Mm. Okay, cool. What episode number was that? 224. Guys, thank you so much for watching 224. What I'm going to get you to do is in the comments below, please list in the comments below. I'll be there. We'll try and get Bo there as well in the comments below. What is your number one cash constraint at the moment? The number one thing you would like to be investing in, but you aren't due to cash constraint. As we said at the beginning of this episode, we've just released a partnership with Prosper where you guys can come through our launch program, our build program and our scale program, depending on where you are in your own entrepreneurial journey and actually access the capital, access the money in order to do that education. So we'll put a link somewhere around this video so you will see that as well. Feel free to click on the link, go through, lodge an application with us. Someone will speak to you about making that happen for you. Bo, thank you very much. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here. That was Cheers a really enjoyable show. conversation. Enjoyed it too. Thank Thanks, you. guys. We'll see you next time. So